Welcome everyone to Siren Sundays. I'm your host, Lashanti the Siren, and today we have our guest, Nicholas Fox from Soul Soil and Soul. Did I get that? Or is it yeah, Soul? Soul and Soil. Yeah, soul and Soil. Awesome. Thanks for having me out here today. Definitely. So this episode is sponsored by Bahamas Protected Areas Fund, and you'll hear a little bit more about that midway through the show on how you can link up to save mangroves. But first, Nicholas, please let us know who you are, what you do, a little bit about your background and how you got into permaculture and composting. So uh, hmm, that's a lot. Okay. I'm a permaculture designer, but I definitely started my journey from like a young age, I'll say all the way back to like the age of five, building Legos and always wanting to build homes and, and just build a nice community and things like that. So I developed that over time and I got into university and started studying biology. I wanted to become mm -hmm. a, a natural medicine doctor. I don't remember the name of it right now, but over time I realized that's not really what I wanted to do. So I switched mm -hmm. to creative writing because I've been writing poetry for a good while, but right nice. before COVID happened, I decided to come home and really, you know, catch myself. And in that time, I really started um, focusing on composting. I've been composting since the age of uh, 14. And it was just something easy that I knew my mom wouldn't have a problem with because I was taking out the trash, there were less <laughs> flies in the house. Um, so she was happy with it. And around that time, we everybody in the house had started um, getting into gardening. So it was really, it, it really just came together and, and Every summer I came home from university, I said, yeah, I'm going to keep going with this composting thing because everybody should compost. And eventually I said, why not turn this into a business? Like when I came home from university in 2020, it just, everything lined up perfectly, you know, backyard gardening came into effect and it's like, mm -hmm. hey, people need compost. Yeah. Because so. I think COVID. COVID definitely turned a lot of people to, to these backyard gardeners, right? Like everybody wanted to start growing herbs, growing fruits, growing vegetables. And I think it was so great, you know, that something like that happened because I think Bahamians, a lot of times, especially the ones in New Providence, right? Because the islands got it together when it comes to growing their fruits and vegetables. But in Nassau, I think we've become so urbanized that people just want grass in their yard. So this yeah. is definitely good. But can you just tell us a little bit about what exactly is permaculture? Because you know you, you do permaculture design, but tell the people, like, what is permaculture? What does that mean? So permaculture comes from the words permanent and agriculture. And you're basically bringing us back to like a more cohesive relationship with nature, like getting to a more symbiotic relationship. So mm -hmm. we're planting, we're planting, um, or I'm designing to grow things that that don't not only like benefit us so fruit trees medicinal plants um but you're planting those in tandem because plants have relationships that you that the plants have relationships that we don't see but they help each other out in the soil plant some plants even build soil and protect us from things like hurricanes um droughts or floods or all of those things and permaculture is just understanding all of these um all of these different how would i say relationships yeah all of these different relationships and how they how we can affect them and how can how they can affect us so we're not planting for us we're planting for the future 
And I think it's so beautiful that you said that because a lot of times humans do, and I will say humans, automatically look at plants and think, oh, how is this plant going to benefit me? But we don't ever stop and think, how can the plants benefit each other? How can we grow things, like you said, in tandem that have a cohesive relationship? So would you be able to give us an example of like maybe two plants that are good to grow next to each other? Well, hmm. right now I've been like searching for something to grow with my avocado because mm-hmm. I've... I have like a 10 year old avocado tree that is barren. It's been barren my entire life. And wow. so something, I think things like um, lettuce, because it it gets good shade from the avocado. There's mm-hmm. a flower called asterium. Um, and there are a few other crops, but you can like interplant those around the base of your avocado tree. and some of these plants don't need direct sunlight all day, or they just need the shade from a, something like a big avocado tree and they will grow, they will flourish. Nice, that's good to know. And so I know one of your slogans or taglines that I've seen is build the Bahamas from the soil up. And in the picture that I use, you're on top of a bunch of seaweed. Is that, do, do those two things relate? Can we build the Bahamas from the soil up with seaweed? Yes, yes. yes. Um, (laughs) So seaweed is one of my ingredients for compost. Um, And seaweed has many, many, many different uh, microorganisms and nutrients that you don't normally find on in like terrestrial plants, right? Right. And that also helps to keep the beaches clean and just recycle the nutrients into the soil. Um, But building the Bahamas from the soil up is more like I always believe if you're going to build a house, it needs a strong foundation. And there are a lot of things in this country that don't have a strong foundation. Not to get, you know. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> All the opinions expressed by Nicholas Fox do not reflect the views of <laughs> Lushanti the Siren. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so there, I feel as though people shouldn't have to slave away at their jobs to buy expensive food that doesn't have any nutrition and they can't they can't function right at work they can't function right at home so building the bahamas from the soil up is basically me saying let's figure out a way to properly feed our people so we can accomplish the goals and not have to rely on anybody else let's be more self-sufficient and we don't have to import things like fertilizers we have all the tools we need right here to make our own fertilizer like yeah, going to the beach and cleaning up the beach, picking up the seaweed. Like you don't have to take all of it, but you could take a good much of it and use that to make soil. And this is something controversial, but I'm pretty sure the benefits of seaweed in your fertilizer, um, they haven't even been like researched enough as yet. And why would that be controversial? Um, so some plants or some microorganisms promote salt tolerance like they boost the salt tolerance of plants and i know if you have a house on the coast during hurricane season uh you have the surge and you have the sea wind and some plants can't handle that salt so i'm thinking a more seaweed based fertilizer will have the microorganisms that can help deal with that salt wow that's actually that's powerful (laughs) definitely 
So, and is this something, you said this is the one of the main ingredients in your fertilizers that you use now? One of them, yeah. Well, we won't give away the secret sauce, definitely. And so but, I know you were, oh, what were you going to say? Um, yeah, I, I was just going to go into the seaweed a little bit more, like definitely. it breaks down a little bit slower than other things, but it's jam-packed with nutrients. See, and I personally like to eat seaweed as well, and I'm sure it's not the same species, but I think a lot of people these days are discovering that seaweed and, and vegetables from the sea actually do have a lot of benefits that we've ignored because we've been so focused on terrestrial gardening and planting. Mm -hmm. So as, a, as an island nation, an ocean nation, I think that is definitely something we should look a little bit more into, you know, as far as like growing things from the ocean. Um, I agree. Um, so you said you eat What's what seaweed or what seaweeds, if you know? Now you've done it. So <laughs> definitely the ones that go on the sushi rolls. Okay, and okay. I've had, I think it's, I know I usually buy like the seaweed snacks as well, oh, which I think, Those yeah, I think it's the nori. I think that's the one it is. But I have read about places that serve the different types of seaweed, of course, in the States. And I do plan on tasting that. But I've, that's how I was able to find out, you know, that seaweed, the ones that we are eating, um, they have all these benefits. Do you know about more seaweed that grows here that we can eat? <laughs> I've done a little bit of research. And so far, it's like, I think there's about three or six species of seaweed that grow in our waters. Mm -hmm. And there's like one of them that's possibly edible. But I've only read about like three articles on it. So... Yeah. I have to do more research. And now you've encouraged me to do some research because I would like to go and pick my own seaweed yeah. <laughs> and eat it. It would be so, it, I mean, I think it would be amazing. The amount of, we have so many different islands and so many different resources, but our, mm -hmm. cul like our culinary dishes aren't like as diverse as they should be. And I think seaweed would be an excellent additive to our like dishes in the Bahamas. Definitely. And so we do have a question um, from the audience. Do plants mimic the growth pattern of others if planted next to each other? Do plants mimic the growth patterns of others if planted next to each other? I'm not sure if I understand that question. So what I'm going to wait for them to maybe reply, but what I think they're asking is um, like how you were saying, maybe plant lettuce next to an avocado tree. Will the lettuce now grow tall? Like will, no, will no, plant no. <laughs> no. Um, So I, I just know that they will grow stronger together because the lettuce has shade from the avocado tree and in, in the soil, uh, mm -hmm. there'll be different root structures and these, all these different root structures will have different microorganisms that are breaking down the soil or transforming right. the soil into different available nutrients for the plants to take up. And depending on what each plant takes up will make other nutrients available. Uh, it'll change the pH and it will make a better environment for both of those plants. Right, so we did get a response, definitely like height. And no, so I guess an avocado is a bad like example, but yeah. I would imagine like when you start growing things like maybe vine type of fruits or vegetables that grow similarly that may, you know, adjust to growing with each other rather than leaving the other behind kind of thing. Um, or even when you have like herb bushes, like when you, if you grow rosemary next to maybe like some finger peppers, like will they grow in height together, like help each other in that way? They'll probably, like if they don't compete, if they're companion plants, like the lower plants or the shorter plants will understand or they, will, they won't compete for light. 
because they know like okay this plant is helping me out and I'm probably gonna stay low and shelter the soil around those roots and this plant's gonna give me sugar and water um, mm-hmm. from its like tall self so it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of different factors it's right. a, it's Which- pretty it's pretty interesting honestly I'm just learning more about it um but even in uh, coastal design so like protected mm-hmm. from hurricanes like I'll sit down all day and I'll say what's um what would be my coastal barrier plants right and there's so many plants to choose from that I would like to plant in tandem mm-hmm. but they won't like some plant they won't really outgrow or outcompete each other especially once you do the research to make sure like okay this plant grows up to 20 feet tall and these plants maybe will grow for a season. Yeah. I think one of the best coastal plants would be mangroves though, right? To plant like when you're literally on that coastline. Yeah. That yeah. Mangroves, mangroves are like, mangroves would be a top tier plant. Like yeah. especially, um, what is it? Which mangroves are in the water? Is it the red mangroves? It's the red. Yeah. They're the ones that have those, um, the roots and they're very tall and they build up the, not the soil, they build up the coastline. Yeah. So those mm-hmm. would be like your first layer. And then like, I'm thinking something like sea oat as your grass, mm-hmm. um, cocoa plum. Sea um, grapes. Sea grapes. Yeah. Some uh, wild cashews. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, sea almonds. That's what sea- they're called. Oh. Oh, the almond trees that you see all around the island. Yeah. yeah, they're this very good. Almond- um, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Um, the almond tree. That's, that's, that's what you just hear me say. The almond tree, but that's what they're called, sea almonds. They're yeah. very good at um, they're very salt tolerant. You could tell mm-hmm. by their waxy cuticles. Mm. So, uh, what else? And then I like personally, I'd put coconut and some silk cotton trees. Always coconut. You gotta have the coconut. You gotta have your coconut. Yeah, but while we are talking about coastal protection, I do want to have a quick word from our sponsors so that everyone can know, you know, this is how we can help with coastal protection. You can link up to save mangroves. So let's let's see that video play. What do defensive linemen, speed bumps, and the corners of coffee tables all have in common with mangroves? They all stand in the way of fast moving and potentially destructive forces. Believe it or not, Mangroves are not only essential to our ecosystem, they are also the first line of defense against the winds and surges of hurricanes. They help to protect our property, our economy, and our very lives. The Bahamas Protective Areas Fund is committed to protecting Bahamian mangroves, and we're making it easy for you to do the same. Link up to protect the mangroves by raising funds to plant and preserve our country's most important natural defenses. Just $12 plants a single mangrove tree, while $25,000 plants an acre. Every contribution counts. Help defend the Bahamas for this generation and the next. Visit bahamasprotected.com slash link up to learn how you, your family, or your organization can link up to protect the mangroves. Awesome. That was an awesome video. Yeah, and I always say that I think a lot of people don't realize that there's so many ways that you can contribute to conservation and to just coastal protection of our country, our land. Like we need to make sure. So for those of you who just watched, definitely go check out the website. I'll shoot the link in the comments in a few, learning how you can link up to protect the Bahamas by protecting mangroves. But we do have one question that popped up in the comments from uh, Lex Fountain. Does the compost 
King, meaning you, <laughs> have any input on the controversial conversation about burials versus composting? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah, I do. So um, I think that Bahamians are very, what's the word? We're very in love with the tradition of funerals. Mm -hmm. And I just think that it's time for us to change our perspective, um, especially seeing that we're a shallow island nation, like we don't have much, much land. And during hurricanes, we have flooding. But I remember one of my roommates was telling me during hurricanes, you could see coffins moving through the ground and they, they pop up in other places. And I don't oh, know how true that is, but that's very troubling to me. I also see that funerals are like very resource intensive. Like you have to go and scrape land, clear down some forest, uh, now fill these plots with rebar and concrete and order these caskets and bring them in. And I just think that's kind of wasteful in a sense. And we could be honoring our loved ones in a much, much more respectful way, not only to us and them but the planet so yeah i i think human composting as much as it sounds weird or like it sounds <laughs> like a taboo i think that's a, a way we should be looking towards i'm not saying that we should be growing our food with the remains of our loved ones that's totally out of the question but um something more peaceful like a, a park where your loved one becomes a tree and this place is now a reverent space where you come mm -hmm. and you reflect or you remember the times you spent with your loved ones instead of coming oh, yeah. to bleak tombstones. That's actually, I didn't, when you started it, I was like, mm, maybe, because I know there are some people who would say, oh, let me sprinkle ashes in the garden. But definitely when you have like an actual tree or a plant that you can go back to, um, and because you know, people like to leave flowers on tombstones, definitely having a tree or a plant, a flowering plant, um, that actually sounds really beautiful. I know, I think that is something, I know I've, I've had people comment about doing, turning yourself into a reef um, block or a reef, what is That's it called? A reef cool. ball. Yeah, yeah, right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I might want to do that. Like give my organs away to the people who are alive and still need it. Put mm -hmm. the rest of me in a reef ball, you know? Like, I want y'all to visit the Lashanti Reef, you know? Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so a tree, that does sound good, because now you're, you're giving back, even in your death, right, to, to people by giving oxygen, right? Yeah. You're making the country a better place. So that was an interesting question, Lux. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, also, people who, mm -hmm. like, get cremated just know I, cremation is so... I wouldn't go with cremation either. Mm. This is a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere. But hey, mm -hmm. I, I'm not anybody's um, caretaker, so you do what you want. Yeah, definitely. To each its own. And for if you want to think of ways to be more green in the afterlife, <laughs> there's something you can do with your, your meat casing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> definitely. And so I know the next topic that we want to get a little bit more into is the composting. And I've seen that you've said um, in the past, Composting prevents garbage, which I'm sure you're talking specifically about food waste, but we do have, you know, in our plastic ban, and I know you talk about that bit on New Providence Ecology Park Trash Talk, where you have these items that they say is, oh, biodegradable and compostable, and you have natural food waste that we know can break down. Like, can you talk a bit about what composting is and how it prevents garbage? And if 
some of these plastic items that are supposed to be biodegradable are actually compostable. So composting is like <laughs> us taking nature's like natural way of decomposition, mm -hmm. speeding it up, adding a little bit of flair and spice to it. Um, so when you compost, you have your food waste, which is primarily green waste and you call it nitrogenous waste. So that's your nitrogen. And then on this side, you have your brown waste, which is more like your, your paper, your newspaper, your toilet tissue rolls, your, um, your non-waxy cardboard, your leaves, your grass clippings. And you want to get those into a balance at a certain size, because when mm -hmm. they hit a certain size, things that start to break down generate heat. And the compost itself retains all of that heat. And since everything's heating up, the breakdown starts to go faster and faster and faster. That's why when you see um, like a dead dog on the road and the sun is beating it, all of those gases is the decomposition um, yeah. taking place. And that's the same thing that happens in composting. All of the food waste and all of the browns, they start to release these gases and it heats the compost up and you have to constantly add oxygen and add water because over time it'll just be like any other fertilizer well not any other fertilizer but that's what it breaks down into it literally cooks the fruits and vegetables and <laughs> they simmer down into like this nice pasty like fertilizer um mm. my com like composting doesn't the first three or four days a pile would reach somewhere around 180 degrees fahrenheit that's like the max that it can get up to without it compromising the, the the quality of the pile. And it continues on like that for at least a week or two. And the more you flip it, adding oxygen for these microbes to carry out their metabolic processes, the more you flip it, the more it breaks down, the more it keeps breaking down. Okay. And there's a few different stages in composting. Um, thermophilic and mesophilic and the thermophilic is basically like when it's that hot this is what, this is for us to like get rid of things like salmonella and e coli and other harm um, harmful uh diseases or things that could harm us so i i really like to keep the compost going at that temperature for a long time to make sure it's completely safe for mm. people to touch and use because these things can transfer to us and wow. we don't want that to happen and what was the other half of the question? Well, before we jump into the other half, because I do remember, we do have two questions. So is cardboard better than newspaper if my compost is too green? Hmm. <laughs> Thinking face. <laughs> I wouldn't say if it's too green, cardboard has a higher carbon ratio than newspaper does. But... Mm -hmm. The more newspaper you have, the more surface area you have for your green to interact with your brown. Because composting is just another biological concept where surface area is king. And the more mm -hmm. surface area you have, the better the things break down. So if you have cardboard or you have newspaper, you're going to make sure you rip those up or crush them into some form of pulp, like you know when you make paper mache. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And that way you have a, a better surface area to mix with your green. So mm -hmm. your browns 
So you, you have better browns to mix with your green. So you have a better breakdown. Hmm. Interesting. So I guess with the cardboard, then you'd want to make sure that you, you tear it up as thin as possible, like a newspaper would naturally be. Yeah. Even with your newspaper, tear your newspaper up. Don't put a whole newspaper in. And um, the other thing about newspaper, why I'd say cardboard is better is because um, when you have newspaper and it's probably like if you're using newspaper as your main source of browns, the newspaper ink here is probably petroleum based. Mm. A good chance that it's petroleum based. Some newspapers use soy ink and you could tell by taking your thumb and just going on the newspaper and like the, if the ink smears, that's petroleum. And you don't want that in your compost. Oh, wow. If it's a smaller compost. So you want to watch how much newspaper you're putting into your compost. Um, just so it doesn't leach into your soil. But the other reason why I'd say go ahead and do it is because when your compost becomes hot enough, a lot of things or a lot of chemicals can't handle that heat for periods of over a week. Mm -hmm. And they break down into much simpler, less harmful substances so right it's a risk size yeah yeah and so when you say small what is what is the smaller limit and what's when it starts to be that larger size composting like those big drums like i think those 55 gallon drums i would if you could fill up a 55 gallon drum and if you could fill it up and have that like work for about six weeks that's a good size i think okay. that's a good size and so um, we do have some more questions coming in. Oh, sorry, you can finish. That's fine. If you have something as small as a five-gallon bucket, you have to be more precise with what you put in and balancing your ratios so it can break down better. But when you have something like a 55-gallon drum, I think that's the smallest um, amount of volume that will heat up to 160 degrees. Anything wow. less, you're, you're just breaking 100 you're just breaking 120. So I used to make piles that were uh, two feet in diameter and like a foot and a half tall. And those would heat up, but those that took a lot of uh, practice and, and time. <laughs> so definitely, I can imagine. That's about a week of waste. So you can, yeah. Okay. And so another question, um, how often should I turn or flip my compost? It all depends. Realistically, you should be turning your compost pile twice a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that will provide you with results much, much, much faster than if you wait. So twice a week works best because it allows a lot of oxygen to come through. But mm -hmm. if you don't have that type of time or you don't want to be getting dirty that often, once <laughs> a week, once a week works, you know, it's a, it's like a Sunday thing where you say, Hey, we're going to turn the compost today for 20 minutes. After Siren Sundays. <laughs> after Siren Sundays, you know, get out and get motivated and go turn your compost. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, with that same guess, any tips to break down eggshells faster in my compost? Um, no, I do think soaking them in vinegar first may help. Okay. 
yeah that's that's about it um make sure remember surface area is super important so if you're gonna put eggshells in your compost you want to make sure they're super fine sometimes i tell people if you have the time or the resources put it in a blender mix it with water and make like a a compost soup to put on your um your browns oh, nice. and that'll really break it down Okay. I know one of the other questions is, does this apply to dead leaves and branches? I'm going to say that's a quick yes. Yeah. Branches in the compost, those are more long-term. Um, okay. If you have like a compost pile and you have branches in it, you're still going to see them in three months and six months and eight months. You're going to have to keep putting them through the ringer like all the time. Branches mm -hmm. don't do anything. And if you're turning the pile and you have a branch in the pile, you want to be careful with turning it because the branch is going to try and come out and there's going to be all this extra food waste on it. So you have to be very careful with your technique of flipping the compost so you don't get injured and then yeah. you can't do anything. So I guess it would be good if you have branches and stuff to break them down, like literally as yeah, small as possible surface area. Yeah. Oh yeah. Seems like we have a lot of composters watching. Carmen asks, should you put sugar in your compost and how often? I've never heard of that. Is it like a, a compost tea? <laughs> we're going to get into compost tea. <laughs> That's a thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're going to get into compost tea. I do not recommend putting sugar in the compost. Um, so not in large amounts, at least, because mm -hmm. those microorganisms that break down everything they're gonna find sugar as like a very rich 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 food source and they're gonna they're gonna grow they're gonna multiply excessively and that mm. can cause your compost pile to lose some fuel or to burn out and then you have a cold dead pile or it can go lazy pile that's what that sounds like. yeah <laughs> or it could go on the opposite spectrum and it can like supernova and it'll heat up but it won't stay hot for very long and you have an anaerobic compost pile and it gets all smelly and soggy and then and it's going to be like anaerobic is anaerobic is no oxygen no oxygen so right. you want oxygen in your compost pile to, to keep it from smelling bad and producing mm -hmm. methane because if you it's have bad, methane, yes. very bad very bad gas four times more potent than co2 yeah like, as a greenhouse gas yeah as a yeah so I don't recommending put I don't recommend putting sugar in the compost, but compost tea. That's a different story. So but before we get to the compost tea, and I see Dr. Gustav has his question. He was a guest on the last season's show and he actually studied soil. So he asked if you could discuss some of the negative effects of composting. Which I'm I think I feel like I've heard that there are negative effects, but composting is such a great thing. How how can composting be negative? <laughs> Tell us more. Wow. Maybe, maybe I don't know everything about composting. <laughs> See, well, you know, it's different as he studies the soil itself. So I think there's always like a difference with that. But I think one of the things you just said, you just gave an example, the methane, oh, right? Like if you yeah. compost incorrectly. It can produce methane. So you, um, one of the questions that I got on the New Providence, on trash talk from the New Providence Ecological Park was something along the lines of, do you think everybody should compost? And I, said no because it's hard and i say it's hard because right now we're fighting 
we're fighting battles. We're fighting climate battles. And I mean, of course, one person is only so much, but everybody trying to compost. And if we're not doing it correctly and we're all creating methane and we're not breaking down our food waste properly, it's going to lead to other things like pests coming in the yard and pests can lead to disease. And these are the things that you're trying to eliminate with composting and um, food waste because we have a garbage problem here. We don't really have a proper waste management chain in the Bahamas. Another thing is on the, on the list of food recovery, composting is the last, is the last thing on that list of food recovery. So um, before you start composting, you want to look for other methods of redistributing food waste or certain products, like if there are other ways to recycle them, so on and so forth. So I'm not saying that composting is the best thing, but it's one of the things that works. It's mm-hmm. one of the cheapest things. And that's why that's why I do it. Yeah. Um, but those are some of the negative side effects of composting. You're taking away from other opportunities. You're, you have the potential to make breeding grounds for pests or feeding grounds. Um, mm-hmm. And you potentially release those methane gases if you don't do it properly, especially if you don't have that time. I'm sure somebody who might have started with the good intentions, it it gets it's hard work, right? Like you said, like two days a week to go out there and physically, you know, work this compost. And some people may just end up leaving a pile that now turns into like a methane bomb, you know, that's the best word, but definitely want to just. If you have a compost pile that's like 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. It can spontaneously combust oh, wow. from all those gases. So compost bomb is not too far off. And I was joking. But And before we move on to the compost tea, I know you mentioned, um, I know I asked earlier about the whole, you know, we're moving into using biodegradable plastic, you know, forks and knives. And some of them say compostable, but are the ones that also say biodegradable, does that mean they're compostable as well? No. Should we only stick with compostable items? Like, can you talk a little bit about those things before we move on to the tea? Well, okay. I think personally, we should find, there should be some better alternative and to plastic in general um, or something as single use disposable things mm-hmm. in general. But we're growing, we're learning. And as time marches onward, we'll figure it out. But biodegradable does not mean compostable. It, it will break down. Most things are, I wouldn't say most, but things that are biodegradable, they have longer lifespans. They don't, they don't just go in the compost and the microorganisms and the extreme heat start to break it down. Some things that are compostable are just... Um, biodegradable and even if they are compostable they don't really break down in the proper setting so like your compost won't be able to break down um maybe a compostable plastic plate that a food vendor may serve because it doesn't get hot enough because um there's a there's not enough mass there's not enough heat there are not enough microorganisms to break it down and i've been experiencing that as well um, with some of these compostable uh, single-use plastics where I'd have to start cutting them up and putting them in the compost. And then they start breaking down because of surface mm. area. So they don't right. just fade away. And if they do 
like partially break down, then they're starting to release some bad chemicals into the soil. But mm-hmm. I don't remember what they're called, so that's why I'm not gonna name them right now. But Dr. Gustav is still watching. I'm sure he can tell us some of those bad chemicals because he studied, you know, soil leaching and heavy metals and stuff. So mm-hmm. that would be interesting to find out what what could be leaching into the soil from a compost pile. Um, but yeah. So th- this has been a lot. I know I'm surprised at how many people are in the viewership that are actually composters. I think it's really cool that we do have a small grouping. I don't know if maybe do you have something or some resource um, besides your Instagram that people can either like connect with you to reach out to get information to inquire about your services at Soul and Soil, right? I got the order right. Yeah. Um, and how can people get involved? Like, and who are the types of people that should start composting? You know. Right now, I don't have any other resources as yet. Um, that's fine. I will give like my email out if that's okay. Uh, no, you, can, <laughs> you can reach Which us at DAC, the number three, project, P-R-O-J-E-C, at gmail.com, and I'll answer your questions there. Or we can uh, have a dialogue there. Um, and for the people who should start composting, there has to be some love or some passion for the earth. Or if you want to you wanna try something new, you want to provide for yourself, but uh, don't. And you have to be patient. If you want to learn patience, start composting. I was not a patient person before <laughs> I started composting. Wow, life lessons from composting. <laughs> yeah, like you, some something like composting taught me so much about the whole circle of life because you see all this dead waste that nobody cares about enough mm-hmm. that they throw it in their garbage. And here I am watching it turn into something that fosters so many different um, life forms that go mm-hmm. on to make healthy food for me and my family and Definitely. others. And I think what's so important too, um, when you talked a little bit about composting is the last line in the food recovery thing i've been following a lot of like pages that talk about you know zero food waste recipes where you have a a broccoli and you use the stalk and you use the leaves and i think if, if we can move into more of a direction where you know yes compost but also try to use all the parts of the vegetables and the fruits that you have don't throw out the skin you can make a broth like even when it comes to um Oh goodness, banana peels. I saw some really cool recipes turning banana peels into like a pulled pork-esque type um, taco filler that you can use. Like, yeah, blew my mind. And I haven't tried it yet, but I haven't had a banana in a while. But that's just an example of, there are so many creative ways that you can try to to use up all of the fruit and vegetable that you have so that you don't have to worry about like maybe having a a 10 foot tall compost bomb in your background. So I think that that could also probably be a really key thing for people who are interested in composting. Yes, if you have like a large yard and a garden, um, I I feel like there's there's a term for a type of pile that you can make with your branches. And it starts with a B, but I can't remember. But those are the type of things, if you do decide to use that, like your dead leaves, your dead branches, and you that pile, that's one thing. But when it comes to the food waste aspect, definitely always try to use as much of the food as you can before it gets to that last step of, okay, now it's time to compost. Like, we can't do anything with eggshells, but thank you for the eggshell advice with the vinegar or blending it up into this like soup. But that doesn't remind me. I want to hear about the compost tea before we go. Tell our viewers about the compost tea. <laughs> so 
Combo's tea is literally compost in a giant tea bag with some form of sugar in the water and uh, some fish tank bubbler of that adds oxygen to the water. And what you're doing is the sugar acts as a food source for the microbes that are in the compost. And you're constantly producing millions and millions and millions and millions, probably trillions of microbes in that water. And it's no, there's no solid material. There's just microorganisms, um, fungi, bacteria, and they all just live in this water and they feed off of the sugar. Um, and you can apply that to your plant roots and you can spray that on your plant leaves. But there's a lot of, I wouldn't say there's controversy about it. It's still being researched, but how it works is there is so much um, good bacteria that it outcompetes the bad things on the plants or in the plants. And it starts uh, taking those microorganisms, the compounds in the soil and breaking those down so the plants can start to take that up. And that's how compost and so works. It's a, it's a tea bag with compost in it. So I'm guessing that'd be the browns and the greens that you were talking about. Yeah, but this if is not a finished compost. Fin oh, finished compost. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And then you put it in the giant tea bag in like, like a fish tank kind of thing with a bubbler and it, so how long does it take to steep? <laughs> um, some cool. people, depending on the size, you could get like a compost tea in a day. Um, I make my compost tea in a week, three days. Okay. And what size is that? Like, 55. is that a 40 gallons 55? actually? Okay. Yeah. Nice. And have you seen a lot of results with that in your own um, research? Yes. Yes, I have. I, that avocado tree was much worse than it was before and I started giving it compost tea and I knew the leaves had something I didn't know if it was a disease or something but you can even tell the difference in the leaves um, some of the food that I grow even I even you can just add it back to the compost so when you're starting your compost pile it's like a jump start to get your compost pile like supercharged Definitely. And, and Lex is a, a testimony to your methods. So yes. definitely for anyone, I'm going to shoot the email up. This is it here, right? DAC3project at Gmail. Hit them up and figure out how you can make your own compost tea. Get your compost pile going. And before we close out this episode, I don't see any other questions. But the last question I've been doing this season with all my guests, what is your favorite sea creature and why? Um, hmm, uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. I'm glad. Ha. <laughs> huh. I would have to say a squid. Hmm. They're just cute. They're, they're so cute. I love the way they just live their lives and do whatever. Octopus would be a close second, but that's it. Well, they're the same family. Okay, yeah. interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for riding another wave with us on Siren Sunday Season 4. Thank you to our wonderful guest, Nicholas Fox, a.k.a. the Compost King from Soul and Soil. Definitely use that email in the comments to contact him for all your composting and permaculture design. His Instagram is like somewhere above on the top here. It's at the Compost King on Instagram, so you can hit him up there as well. He has a lot of great posts. That's how I found out some of these things about him and discovered him as well. And... Remember, um, we'll be here next week at 4 p.m. EDT and always yours. We'll shanty the siren. See you guys. See you. <laughs>